Today's reading is Luke 1, 46 through 55. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students and first and fourth graders, you can head to the lobby and everyone else can be seated. Do you need a hand? All right. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. So um, I had my sermon introduction planned and then Jacob Bomber literally did the thing I was gonna talk about. So thank you, thank you Jacob, I appreciate it. Have you guys had that happen where something's in your brain and you don't want to say it but it comes out, right? Like when you're supposed to introduce Steve Porter's second hour of fellowship, not Luke Porter's second hour of fellowship. Have you guys ever done that? So uh, in our, <clears throat> where we lived in Arizona before we moved here, at the end of the street was the spooky, scary Christmas house. And that may sound like a contradiction, but for all the kids in our neighborhood, my boys as well, that was the scariest house on our block because we lived there for six years and every single day of those six years, they had their Christmas decorations up. They never came down. And a few months into living there, they painted the house, which I think was like a light gray or a white color, this like hideously Christmassy green. And it stayed that way. A few months after that, I don't, so this is like speculation. I don't actually know. All I know is at nighttime they had these red, like flashing lights, but not like Christmas decoration lights, like some kind of weird security system or something. It was a strange house. They had a giant window with this giant Christmas tree with these like creepy old doll ornaments that like, it just, you know, you just look at it and you're like, I think that's Christmas, but it doesn't feel like Christmas, right? So one year, our kids are trick-or-treating with some kids from the neighborhood, and they want, they're, they're feeling brave. So they say, can we trick-or-treat at the Christmas house? And I'm like, are you guys sure? Yep, okay, you have to be respectful because we don't know the backstory, right? Maybe something happened around Christmas that they, they just want to remember Christmas. Like, we don't know. So we're prepping the kids, right? When you get to the door, please be respectful. Don't point out the Christmas tree because they're like, we're going to ask, why is your Christmas tree always up? Don't ask why the Christmas tree is always up. Please don't do that. Trying to get them thinking, you know, 
with hospitality and grace, right? We're, gonna, we're just going to say trick or treat. We're going to get the candy and we're going to go. So we get up to the door. I have my boys, some kids from the neighborhood. They knock on the door. The door opens. The kids all say, trick or treat. Guess what comes out of my mouth? Merry Christmas. <laughs> you can't write this. I'm instantly mortified. My boys are like, dad, which just makes it worse, right? What's down inside comes out. That's what happens. I had a professor in Bible college, like good old ranch guy from Montana, and he would say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Right? And it's true. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Jesus says some things like this about fresh water and salt water or, you know, trees that can produce only one kind of fruit. What's inside comes out. And so today we're going to look at what's inside Mary that comes out of her song. If you guys remember last week, Jake talked about um, the, the angel coming to Mary and telling Mary that uh, she was going to become pregnant. She goes and visits Elizabeth. Uh, John the Baptist leaps for joy inside of Elizabeth's womb. And, you know, I remember as a kid reading that and it was like, oh, that sounds awesome. And having a wife who was recently pregnant, that sounds painful. But that's what John the Baptist did, and, and we see Mary's response. Mary responds as though she were like part of the cast of Hamilton or whatever your favorite musical is. She bursts out into song. She starts singing, which I don't, I don't know about you, that's not my comment. Like, I'm not Beth Balmer. I don't just like spontaneously burst out into song. That's not my common go-to, but Beth just praises Jesus way better than I do. So... Beth follows in the footsteps of Mary in this praise. So this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to have the words up there for you guys so you can read along with me. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. There's one underneath your chair. We put it there special for you. We're going to be on page 856, reading from Mary's song. <clears throat> this is what Mary sings is a response to Elizabeth saying, blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. We'll pick up in Luke chapter one, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers." Mary sees God everywhere. When you think of the words of her song, everything is attributed to what God is doing. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The mighty one has done great things for me. His mercy extends. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down the rulers. He has lifted up the, hum the humble. And you can keep going and keep reading. And church, if this is not a challenge to the way we think today, I don't know what is. 
because we've lost this sense of the divine interacting in everyday life. Because we know (laughs) science and physics and medicine and all of these things that are good gifts from God. Don't hear me say these are opposed to one another. They just cause us to forget, right? So our our middle kid um, this morning woke up and he was all congested and he had a fever. And so, you know, we like get the thermometer, right? And it tells us his temperature. And I forget that this piece of equipment that measures heat could, if I allow it to, remind me of the God who sees and knows. I forget that the Tylenol I give him, which will bring his fever down, is the outworking of Jesus who is reconciling all things. I forgot that our good Lord who gives us good gifts someday way a long time ago inspired someone to realize that acetaminophen when given in the right amount can reduce a fever. It's not God against science, it's God working through science. I forget to praise God that every morning, gravity still works. I don't wake up on the ceiling. I don't wake up going to the right or to the left. But the God who is faithful and reliable and consistent works through the laws of nature. So one of the things that happened in the Enlightenment is we have this concept of public truth. What is public truth that everyone can agree on? Well, the only thing people could agree on in the Enlightenment was science, the scientific method. So what we could measure, what we could test, that became the things that we could all agree on. Everything else became private belief. So I have my personal beliefs with my personal savior. And it has nothing to do with public truth, what's true for everyone else. Now we move through modernity and its reliance on technology and science. Now we get to post-modernity where good luck arguing what's true. Here's the problem, church. The Bible makes very clear statements about what is true. The Bible tells us Jesus is Lord, whether we choose to believe it or not. It's making statements about public truth. This may feel really uncomfortable. The Bible's supposed to do that sometimes. You're okay. But Mary thinks this way. This is what Mary is singing about. Yes, we understand every four years there's going to be an election and there's going to be a different administration or, you know, maybe with an eight-year span. But what the Bible is saying is that God is the one who lifts up rulers and takes them down. Yes, we understand that Tylenol is the pain reliever, but what the Bible is saying is God is the one who is the healer. Yes, I know I go to work and I have direct deposit and put some money in my account and I use my card and I go buy groceries from the grocery store. God is the one who provides food for my family. Those are not in contradiction to each other. Mary actually has a more biblical worldview than I typically do because she remembers these things. God is the one who fills us up when we're hungry. Yes, we can drive to In-N-Out and order the double-double Thank God for those precious workers who prepare delicious food for us to enjoy. But God is the one who does this. God does that too. So I wonder if we would accept some challenges this morning. The first one is, is, would you practice looking for God? 
Would you practice this week, maybe just one day this week, to try to be mindful? How is God providing? How is God sustaining? How is God the one who is acting in my world, in my family, at my job, in my neighborhood as I drive down the street, my car keeps going because the, the gas and the spark plugs and I'm sure, where's Ted? I need like the car guys to explain how the engine works, but the engine works because God designed our brains to figure this thing out. The air pressure in the tires keep the tires inflated. I know that much. I know a little bit. Because that's how God designed his good creation to work. So I wonder if you guys would spend some time just practicing. Practicing. Where could you look to see God at work? How could you notice him? Is it in that brief moment of rest? You know that moment like at the end of the long day at work when you finally like actually sit down? Like you may have sat at the desk all day, but like when you actually sit down at home and you have that split second like, Jesus is the one who provides real rest. Simple as that. That's the first challenge. Mary sees God everywhere. I wonder if we would practice looking. So here's another thing that we have to notice about this passage. Is that Mary needs God. Mary talks about some things that have caused great controversy with this passage throughout history. Mary says things like, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. That's good. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. That's good. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Now, we have to wrestle with this. What's actually being said here? So here's the easy out. Mary's just talking about spiritual things. She's not talking about literal riches, but spiritual, those who are trusting their own spiritual riches, and what she's advocating for is that we need to trust Jesus with the spiritual things in our life. Maybe there is truth in that statement. Church, throughout history, God's people have not only interpreted it through this spiritual lens. This passage has been banned from being read in public in at least four different countries. Britain outlawed this from being read out loud in India uh, during the time of colonization because of what passages like this did in the minds and hearts and actions of poor people. Guatemala did the same thing. Argentina did the same thing. The Philippines under the Marcos dictatorship did the same thing. At least four countries in history have said, this passage is so problematic, you are, it, it is illegal to read in public. It's inspired art like this image we're gonna put on the screen. So you can see at the top it says, cast down the mighty, send the rich away, lift the lowly, fill the hungry. There's Mary standing on, a, on the serpent from the garden with her revolutionary fist raised in the air. Okay. That should feel a little jarring. If you're feeling a little uncomfortable, that's why I put it up there. Because I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we just forget what this thing is. It's a book that we're familiar with, that we've grown accustomed to. We think of Mary singing and our brains go to like Christmas time and jingle bells and everything's happy. And Mary is happy because she trusts in the God 
who cares for the humble, for the poor, for the hungry. Remember, Jake did a brilliant job of framing this for us last week, right? This is Mary, the unwed teenage mom. Mary, who we'll see later in Jesus' life when they're presenting him at the temple, is poor. We know this based on the sacrifices they offer. This is a woman who needs help. Her nation is occupied by the Roman Empire. She is an oppressed people group, and she is calling out to God, trusting in him. So if you find yourself in those demographics, this is great news. I remember um, <clears throat> taking a trip to Ecuador when I was, when I was younger, post-college. Uh, this was part of my like, conversion back to Christianity. I got invited to this conference that I had no business being at. It's like for global youth workers. And I'm just like a guy that helps out at a youth group in a random city in California and like teaches a mission class. Like I had no business being there with these, these leaders, these missionaries who have done and seen incredible things. So we're, we're sitting at this table eating dinner um, after the sessions one evening and, and they start telling these stories of seeing God at work in different places around the globe. And I remember one of the stories, there was, you know, this guy got sick in this village, and so the missionaries, you know, the guy's not going to make it. They got to take him in the boat up the river to where the doctor is, and they get like halfway there, and it runs out of gas. So this isn't like halfway down Long Beach Boulevard where like AMPM is coming up, right? This is like Amazon River out of gas, open the gas tank, look inside, it's empty. The man is dying, so they pray, and there's gas in the tank. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Like, are you sure? And they tell other stories of, of demons being exercised and God providing miraculously, you know, all of these like fantastic miracles. And I ask the question like, I, I, I believe you guys. I don't think you're lying. I don't think you're, you know, like hallucinating when you see these things. I believe you. Why have I never seen that in the United States? And then one of the missionaries laughed at me, which is always like good for the humbling moment, right? He goes, God doesn't need to. God doesn't need to do that. You have a bank account. You have food in the grocery store down the street. You have a retirement. At the time, I didn't have a retirement, but I got his point. We have the stuff. So where do we need God? When I'm hungry, I have a freezer and a refrigerator and cabinets, pantry full of food, HelloFresh comes every week. Where do we need God? We're cared for. We're provided for. We have a level of stuff that does not necessitate our dependence upon Jesus. Now, what the heck do we do with this? Does this mean you have to go out and sell everything you own? Well, Jesus told one person that one time. So for him, that was true, but we don't see Jesus tell everyone that all of the time. So I don't know that we can say that's universal for every believer. Um, does this mean that all rich people are evil and all poor people are holy? Well, we don't see that in scripture either. Proverbs tells us that um, there are some ways that the poor uh, can be, well, what is the language, like the lazy sluggard or something that's like not politically correct at all? Um, and then there's other times that Proverbs tells us that we are to care for the poor. We see examples of rich people throughout Scripture that are wildly sinful and 
like David, the king, a man after God's own heart. Like Solomon, the wealthiest man alive. Like Abraham, who was incredibly wealthy. Like Joseph of Arimathea, who had enough wealth to just give Jesus his tomb. So it can't be this either or, all the, all the rich people are bad and evil, all the poor people are good and holy, holy, holy. It can't just be that simple. So this is the point of the sermon where the preacher is supposed to give you the out so you don't keep feeling the tension. Not today. I'm not gonna do it. Hey. Because scripture doesn't do it. Mary's serious here. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we're serious about this passage in India and in Guatemala and in Argentina and in the Philippines. This does something to us. This doesn't necessarily mean that we all have to become revolutionaries and storm out into the streets. It means that we have to consider our finances and how we steward them for the glory of God. It means that we have to consider whatever areas of power we have, of comfort that we enjoy, consider how we can steward those for the glory of God. We need to take serious the passages in the Old and New Testament scriptures that talk about God's care for the poor. We need to take those seriously. That's not just for the social justice crew. That's not just for the progressive left. That's for the believer. If you count yourself a believer, these scriptures apply. And we have to wrestle with this. We are in an incredibly wealthy nation and an incredibly area of, uh, incredibly wealthy area of the country in a fairly wealthy congregation. Hopefully you guys trust me enough that I can say that out loud from stage. And so this is something we need to take before the Lord. This doesn't mean you know, you're bad because you have money. That's not what it's saying. It's saying God does something special for those who are dependent upon him, for the poor, for the humble. He does something to those rulers who are not acting with wisdom and godliness. And Luke is gonna continue this theme, so we're gonna continue to wrestle with this. So I wonder in this moment, first first when we talked about practice seeing, I wonder if we could practice trusting, if we could practice trusting God. Some of us are not feeling very wealthy right now. Some of us have been hit with inflation, gas prices, thank God, are going down, but some of us are like, no, we need to still trust God with our, with our resources, with our finances that God is providing. Some of us need to trust God with what he could be inviting us to for different stewardship on the sake of those who are like Mary, who are in poverty, who don't have it all together who are in dire circumstances and can't help but cry out to God for his provision because they can't just swipe the card. So I think for all of us, this call, as we wrestle through these tough, I I understand this is tough. This is a tough passage. But I would invite us to trust God through the wrestle. Trust God through that struggle of how will he provide? What could he be calling me to give up for someone else? He's good and he's in control. Hopefully we can trust him with that. All right? Now that I scared you guys, here's another thing we see from Mary. Mary praises God. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's inside comes out. 
We had this interesting conversation in our preaching team meeting where like it depends, your perspective depends on how you interpret this, right? Is Mary like in this season of joy? Like, oh yeah, all right, pregnant, woohoo. Or is it like, what in the world? Here's the beauty of Mary's song. Either way, from joy or fear, Mary praises God. Mary does what she knows. There's this thing, um, I've talked about this, you guys know that I used to um, do like some kickboxing and boxing, and, and when you train, you get to a certain point where they have you spar with somebody else, right? That's like play fight, okay? And, and it's to practice, see how you're doing, work on your you know, footwork, all the different things. What happens time and time again is whatever has not become muscle memory, but you just like think you know, you forget. It goes out the window, right? Mike Tyson, uh, one of my favorite theologians, <laughs> says, that was, a, yeah, that's a joke. Thank you, Amanda, you got it. <laughs> he says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? It, and it's true, I've experienced this, right? I know all the things, I know where to keep my heads, I know how to move my feet, you know, all, all the stuff, and then somebody starts punching you, and you do what you know you shouldn't do. But what feels most comfortable, like turn your head away or close your eyes or just like turtle up, right? All the things that they train you, don't do that. But when we encounter stress, we revert back to what we know. That's just natural. So a good indicator of where your trust is, is when a stressful time comes up, what's your first flinch? How much money do I, let me check my account. Who do I know that could put in a good word for me? These are all really good things. What are we gonna, we gotta plan, we gotta figure, we gotta get a game plan here, we gotta set the budget, we gotta figure this thing out. Or, hold on, can we just pray real quick? That reveals something. Is it, how can I rely on my own intelligence to figure this thing out? Or how can I rely on Jesus to figure this out? Now, please hear me clearly. I'm not saying you only pray, right? Like, sometimes you gotta write the check. Sometimes you gotta ask the person for help. You gotta find resources, right? We've talked about, like, talked about from the stage. Sometimes you gotta go see the counselor. Trust Jesus and trust therapy, right? Like, this doesn't mean we only pray, but our first flinch often reveals things about what's inside. Is our first flinch the, violent, the angry outburst full of profanity? Or is it singing praise songs like Mary and Beth? Is our first flinch anger, isolation, withdrawing, cutting off relationships, friendships, turning insular. It's our first flinch inviting people to pray alongside of us. Being honest, right? I, we have been there as a family those times where we say, I need you to have faith because I don't have faith right now. I need you to believe for me because my belief is shaky at best. What is our first flinch? What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. We see this example of Mary who just praises God. She looks around and sees God everywhere. She is practiced at noticing how God works. We see Mary who knows her own need, who knows that she needs Jesus to show up. She cannot figure this situation out on her own. I guess not Jesus yet. She needed God to show up because Jesus was gonna be coming, right? Get the story right. We see Jesus, or we see Mary, <laughs> we see Mary who is practiced at trusting God 
in her situation, in her difficult circumstances. And she praises. I, I had this um, moment a, a, few, a number of years ago where I felt actually a sense of deep conviction. And, and one of my friends at our old church, another pastor had pointed out, and he's like, dude, the week leading up to you preaching, man, you're asking everyone for prayer. You're nervous, anxious, scared. All these people are praying for you. And then you preach. He goes, and then what? I was like, well, then I enjoy people telling me I did a good job, and that's the end of it. He's like, I wonder if you spend as much time thanking God for how he showed up as asking him to show up beforehand. And it was deeply convicting. And so I started this practice. I'll write out prayers, like what I want God to do in a sermon. And then on Monday morning, I'll go, so tomorrow morning, I'll go back and like read my prayer and actually spend time thanking him. Because I'm trying to believe that God is doing this thing. And that's something that helps me praise him. I wonder what that could be for you. What are those ways that you're like wildly dependent on God, like God, help me, help me, help me, and then what can help you remember to praise him after he actually shows up? So, we're gonna take a risk this morning. Now people are like, oh, uh-oh. We're gonna practice together, all right? I have uh, the first half of a sentence, I praise you God for, and we're gonna invite you from your seat to just finish that sentence. If two people go at the same time, that's all right. We're not gonna take the time to pass the microphone around. It doesn't have to be that serious. Um, we're just gonna out loud praise God together because it does a couple things. One is it challenges us to actually think about the last week. What are we actually praising God for? Two is it helps those of us who are struggling with this right now to hear our brothers and sisters. Sometimes I struggle to remember to praise God and I need the encouragement of other people. Three, it helps us be engaged. When we show up here, it's not just to receive. Sunday mornings are to participate together, not just to consume religious goods and services. So we're gonna be involved together. Uh, so at this time, I'm gonna invite the band. They're gonna come up and just play some quiet music to make me standing up here listening to you guys a little bit less awkward. And we're gonna invite you just spend a few moments. As a congregation, we're just gonna speak out so one another, we can hear from one another what we're praising God for this week. I praise God that he still speaks. Mm, amen.
say praises God that he knows the hairs on our head.
God for our lead pastoral team and our wonderful staff. If you didn't hear that one, praise God for in and out. tricky pastoral moments where you just want to keep going <clears throat> but let's let's pray together and, and continue to thank God for these things father you are the good provider you are the forgiver you are the one who sent your son you are the one who lavishes good gifts upon your children from modern transportation to in and out to the tears of our children the sickness that reminds us that you're in control the trials that strengthen our faith, the beautiful creation, the rain this morning, your provision of watering the ground that gives us food, so many things that were named, beauty for ashes, people that volunteer to tell others about who you are and what you're like. Jesus, you're good. You're good to us even when we forget that you're good to us. And you're good to us when it's hard to believe and trust that you're good to us. I thank you for these moments that can remind us of how good you are. Lord, and I'm aware I've been in rooms like this, watching the goodness go on and still feeling pain. You're a God who shows up in those moments also. And so as we continue our service, would you just continue to speak to us and through us to one another? Lord, we'll sing because you are worthy of our praise. We'll come to your table because it is life for us. We'll be sent out because you are a God who allows us to partner with you in mission. But for all of those things, we ask you for your spirit to continue to fill us. Thank you for your goodness, Jesus. I pray these things in your name. Amen. And so as our service continues, we'll come to the table. And one of the things I love about the table is there's so many different ways to approach communion. There's the heavy sermons of, uh, of deep repentance for sin, and we need those. There's the expectant ser sermons of, uh, right, we come to the table in anticipation of the feast that we'll have. And then there's a reality of all of the things we just heard, that God is still active and still invites us to praise him. 
And so, yes, we do wait for that day when he comes back, when every tear will be wiped from every eye and there will be no more sickness or death or pain or sin. But thank God for those moments in between, those glimpses of hope, those moments of praise. And so as we come to the table today, maybe there's a thing that you've been thinking of, man, God, praise you for this. Maybe it's something that you heard, God, praise you for that thing. We invite you to come to the table praising him. This is for anyone who follows Jesus. You don't have to be a member of our church. Um, we invite you to the table. We'll have servers who will come forward. You'll be released by rows to come take the elements. A blessing will be spoken over you. And we invite you to bring them back to your seat so that we as a family can enjoy this meal of praise together. And so we'll, we'll invite the servers forward at this time. Uh, we'll invite Dave and the band to continue leading us in worship as we, as we hear from God and as we respond to him together.